Hi there, and welcome back to Cyburst, a podcast about science, popular culture, and entertainment. We're your hosts, Ella and Isabel, two science communication and sci-fi nerds steering this spaceship into the multiverse of science fun. Mm. Today's episode, Mysteries and Puzzles, the art and or science of... So we're going to be focusing on murder mysteries, their popularity, and why they are so incredibly similar to something we know, love, and hold very dear, science. Yes. <laughs> and as always, we are going to start by jumping into some recommendations. And before that, it's really important that we acknowledge that this episode of Cyburst is being recorded on Ngunnawal and Ngambri country. Indigenous Australians are the first scientists and artists, and we'd like to pay our respects to their elders past, present, emerging, and future. So here we go, recommendation time. Welcome back to Culture Snap. Yeah. Isabel, what are you recommending today? Yeah, so in line with the sort of mystery puzzles theme, I wanted to recommend an escape room. I, I love them. I love so them. They're I so good. I've done like a whole bunch now. I haven't done enough, I don't think. Oh, me either. No. <laughs> I would do one every week if I could. Oh my God. Maybe we should. Ooh. 52 escape rooms a year. Oh my God. That Whoa. sounds that sounds like fun. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you can obviously you can do them in person mm. and it's um you go with a group and then you enter a room and there's a whole bunch of like puzzles that you solve to sort of get into the next room and there's usually a time limit and a storyline associated with them. So much fun. And they're so creative some of the like a lot of the time oh, as well. Yeah, yeah. I've done like um a magician themed one. Um I've done a like a ghosty themed <laughs> Ghosties. <one>. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um but you can also do them virtually. Which I didn't know until you said. Yeah. So you can there's heaps of like sort of escape room apps that you can download. Some mm. which are really, really good. You do have to pay for them, but there are also free ones. To if you literally if you just type in escape room on the app store, you'll be able to find something. My favorite ones are the room series. <gasps> oh, I have that. I have the first one on um Switch. So it's good. so good. I've played all of them. Highly recommend. That one does cost money though. Worth it. It's, it's so, so worth it's it. It's worth it. And it's not very much money for the amount of like entertainment you get out of it. Yeah. That's true. That's true. Less than a cinema ticket, probably more time you spend playing the game. Yeah. Mm. For sure. What's, uh, what's your recommendation, Ella? Okay, so totally not on theme for me this week. <laughs> Doesn't is matter. Doesn't matter. <laughs> is this book called Landmarks by Robert McFarlane. And I've been reading it over the last few months. Um, it's nonfiction, so really easy to pick up, put down. Uh, but it is such a beautifully written book that is uh, almost like a storyteller's glossary to archaic and out-of-use language that describes nature. Um, and it is, you know, specifically of like a British and European influence. Um, so it's super interesting, you know, hearing as someone who's like grown up and lived in Australia for a, a long, long time, um, all these words describe uh, like bogs and marshland. And um, I'm currently reading the water chapter. So that's why a lot of this is coming to mind. Ooh. Yeah. About like uh, environments I'm unfamiliar with, but hearing about them for the first time with this archaic and out of use language is super fun. Yeah. Sounds kind of psychomy. It is well. kind of psychomy. Um the author describes, you know, having specific words to talk about specific things uh as word magic. Um Ooh. and it comes it comes in and out of uh lots of chats and conversations about like if you give something a name, mm -hmm. it gives it more of a personality, more meaning. Power of language. Power of language. Which is interesting that you brought up the Psycom point because um, there, I think, is an argument to say that having specific words for specific things is very similar to jargon. Yep, indeed. We use all the time in the academic and scientific worlds. Uh, but I would say this language doesn't fall under the category of jargon because it used to be common language and it used to be for everyone. And it's just like mm. the author describes it as we used to have like 20 words to describe lots of different things that also had like an umbrella term. And now we just use the umbrella term. Mm. Um, but all of all the language was for common use. And it's kind of like a love letter to heartfelt descriptions and connections and meaning with nature. 
And I haven't finished it yet, so I really hope the book continues being this good, but it kind of has a chapter and then a few pages of glossaries of words to describe what you've spoken about in that chapter. It sounds like it's something that's actually quite easy to read or just sit down and like read a chapter of as well, right? Because it's a combination of just like a glossary list and some like analysis or something, I'm guessing. Yeah, it's kind of just like stories about like how some of these words were found and kept alive throughout the Mm. years. Um, yeah, the author's own kind of like yeah. journeys through land. Reflections. Reflections, which is really cool. I first started reading this while camping, actually, and it's a perfect book to yeah. read outside. <laughs> oh, that's so easy. A really, really perfect <laughs> book to read outside. So highly recommend this, yeah, Landmarks by Robert McFarland. They were pretty good recommendations, I think. I think they were. Um, so I did say mine was unrelated to today. Nils was related. Mm. But what are we talking about again? mysteries so good the suspense the anticipation yeah i love a good mystery oh so do i i've um recently fallen into yeah i guess like a an actual like relationship with mystery novels and movies and stories i think is kind of what it comes down to and there's been so much of them recently Mm mm-hmm um, we had Glass Onion at the end of last year, start of this year. Yeah, and Knives Out before that. Which was huge, and I think that had a massive impact on the movie industry. Yeah. Yeah. And there was a whole bunch of, like, Agatha Christie adaptations recently as well. Yeah, Death on the Nile just came out. I actually read my first Agatha Christie last year. Oh, yeah, I have, don't think I've ever read an Agatha Christie. I um, Honestly, it was so good. I'm so excited to read more. <laughs> um. And I'm currently reading um, The Thursday Murder Club. Oh, yes. We were just talking about this before recording. Yeah, I didn't realise that was... Not like I didn't realise there was a murder mystery, but I like just bought it with me because it's the book that I'm reading right now. And I was like, oh, this is on theme. Yeah. Well, we had a funny moment where it's written by Richard Osman. Yeah. He's a TV presenter. Because I was like, I saw the name. And I was like, oh, I, rec- I recognise that name. Is that the guy who does Pointless? <laughs> yeah, sure is. Um. So we're we're talking about mysteries today and Mm. kind of like, unlike everything ever all at once when we were talking about, you know, like that popularity, this isn't really, really ongoing, deep popularity. It hasn't come out of nowhere. We've always loved murder mysteries. We've always loved, yeah, I'd say even just like mysteries without the murder too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, And like puzzle solving and like logic riddles almost. Mm -hmm. Um, my favorite things to do (laughs) (laughs) solve puzzles solve problems yeah um and it kind of dates all the way back to Agatha Christie even Sherlock Holmes classic Mm. detective fiction Mm -hmm. um Um, and something really interesting about them is that a lot of them also relate to scientists and science either as characters or even the authors themselves yeah so I found out that um Arthur Conan Doyle, who wrote Sherlock Holmes, was actually a physician. Which I didn't know, and I've, like, read and seen so many Sherlock adaptions. Yeah, and so he drew from his medical teachings and scientists he met um, and, like, cutting-edge scientific discoveries to write his Sherlock Holmes stories. Which is so cool. Yeah. Fiction based on science. Love, love, love. Good interactions there. Yeah. Um, And with his medical training he believed that it fostered a really healthy skepticism um as well and the um reliance on facts which creates this really good foundation for all thought including writing mystery novels i really like um yeah that kind of like skepticism and problem solving and like deduction kind Mm -hmm. of being a really good foundation for all thought yeah, and I think that's such like a jumping off point both for science and these types of stories, right? Yeah, really funny definitely. how they come together. Yeah. Um. So this podcast idea, I was just thinking about you know the type of media I've been enjoying recently, which has been murder mysteries of late, mm. and I was like, I think, I think there's there's a parallel there. I think there's a really big parallel here, yeah. and I think they're so much more related to science and scientific thinking. Yes. Than I've ever given them credit for. And Isabel and I were having kind of like a little bit of a brain dead moment. Like oh we we needed food. We were like it was <laughs> lunchtime, and we were we were doing pod planning, and it like it was kind of going nowhere. And I just had this 
this idea and I was like that is so fresh and the more we thought about it the more it made sense Mm -hmm. and like everything we brought up we're like whoa so I think today we're just gonna share this light bulb kind of moment with with you all and how we've made all these connections but we also found that we're super not the first to um to talk about like how similar science is to Mm. detective fiction and deductive reasonings um there's a really cool article that we'll put in our um, resources that go out after this episode uh, written by uh, a neuroscientist. Was it a neuroscientist and author? Yeah. Um, so the article is called Why Murder Mysteries Are a Lot Like Science According to a Neuroscientist and Novelist, mm. which is really cool because I love that blend of art and science. Yes. Like neuroscientist, also a novelist, the art of writing, the art of planning a murder. Um, Those are ideas that we like throw around a lot. But it is murder mysteries and detective fiction, so similar to scientific thinking. Yes. And I think that's really cool. Like it's not just that it relies on like, um, you know, scientific methods of, oh, well, fingerprint and DNA trace, like those really obvious Mm. scientific links. I Mm -hmm. think the actual way of thinking like your Conan the Doyle unraveling, quote. The unraveling process of it all. Yeah. Um, because what is science other than unraveling the great big unknown? Yeah. Um, not to get too deep on you, but absolutely to get too deep on you. <laughs> and I also had this thought um, that it relates a lot to logic puzzles as well. Um, and we see that with uh, the start of Glass Onion. But I'll get into that a little bit later because I wanted to talk about Um, the formulaic style of murder mysteries to start us off yes because my hypothesis is is that we love this formula um and it's kind of similar to heist films as well i guess but i think murder mysteries are ultimately way more appealing and satisfying Mm. and in this article by the neuroscientist she argues that it's um we like them so much because there's a massive connect between our expectations and uh, the reality so like we yeah. expect someone to be murdered we expect there to be clues we expect to be taken along for the journey and we expect it to be solved yeah um oh there's nothing more annoying than mysteries that are unsolved there's a lot of films now that do that it's yeah i i think honestly <laughs> our brains are kind of wired to see fulfilling into a story and we we yeah. all really like that and it just like tickles something um inside us and I also think it tickles um, those of us who are scientifically minded and who've spent mm-hmm. a little bit of time around scientific thinking. Yeah, um, oh, that sounds like us. That sounds like us. <laughs> and I also think a lot of people that I know who are kind of like associated with science or technology, engineering, mathematics, mm-hmm. I think a lot of them are murder mystery people too. Um, there's just something that we like want to know why something's happened and a murder mystery allows you to explore that fully. Yeah, well, it's also interesting because I, I had a discussion with my mum about this who is not really a science person, mm. but she does like murder mysteries and, like, mystery fiction, but she is more on the, like, arts side. Mm-hmm. So she has a, like, arts background, which is really interesting. Like, we can, like, both get the same enjoyment. Out of the same it. thing. Yeah. Because it's also the art of how it's written. Exactly. Um, and I think the blending of two is ultimately always going to be more satisfying. Mm-hmm. Um, we like people who do science a lot of the time. It's not like not like you're stabbing in the dark. Like there are, there are things that you're following. There's yes. previous studies and beforehand. Uh, but a lot of the time, especially in like experimentation, you don't know exactly what's going to happen, or if you're going to get the results that you want, or what is the end result. Um, when do you stop studying? When do you pick it up and call it a new study Mm. and I think it's really cool because science is unraveling the great big unknown absolutely but in a way that you know you steer the ship in whereas I think murder mysteries are great to relax with as entertainment yeah because you know what the outcome's gonna be yeah because you know oh unlike unlike all the things that my brain has taken up thinking about like Mm. I know I will know the ending you know, at the end of this by 90 the minutes, like 90 by minutes, by the so end of like yeah. the 400th page or whatever. <laughs> yeah. So you know you're going to have a satisfying outcome, whereas you might be working on a a great, you know, experiment for like three years and not know when it's going to, you know, reach an end point for you. Mm. But we were having a chat earlier mm. and I was like, Isabel, 
Do you remember right like the lab report structure? <laughs> I was like, what's the what's the report structure? Yeah. And you looked a bit confused, which I think is really fair, because we were talking <laughs> about murder mysteries. <laughs> but I've made some connections and I am very excited by these. So lab reports, a lot of people did them in high school. If you didn't, um I, I'm gonna talk you through how they're structured and it, mm-hmm. it's always like this. Like you know, scientific thinking, it's rigorous. How you write is very structured, planned out beforehand, logical, reasoned, methodic. Yep. So we start with the title and then we go to an abstract, followed by a hypothesis, followed by aim, then methods, then results, then discussion and conclusion. Mm-hmm. And I think these are really closely related to a murder mystery um, I love this. This is a hot take plot from Ella. formula? This is a hot take. Yes. Welcome to Hot Take <laughs> with Ella and Isabel. I'm so excited. So the title of a lab report or a scientific yeah, report, mm. it's meant to draw you in. Yep. Isn't a title of a murder mystery too? Okay, mm. this is a bit of a tenuous link, but it gets stronger. Trust me. <laughs> um, you often include keywords that refer to the study that yeah. may they get unfilled further as you go down because you explain more about the context. Um you know, you say how you've studied it, why you've studied it, a whole bunch of things. In the recent film Glass Onion, the title itself is a metaphor used within the film. Yeah. That relates to a structure that the end is kind of really just a whole load of like bedazzled nonsense. (laughs) But you don't know until, like you know the title and it's a striking title, but you don't know until you've, you know, experienced the story really why it's called that. So then we move on to the abstract. And in a lab report, this is, you know, the first sentences that you read that tell you about what you're about to read Mm -hmm. um, and why it's important, why it matters. It's like a little blurb. It's like a little blurb. Mm. It's like setting the scene, saying why does it matter. Um, In a movie, this could be giving context to the characters. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And may, sometimes that's extrapolated into a background in scientific research, um, depending on like what level, what level you're at. Um, I know in high school they often like provide the background for you, like all the information, oh, yeah. mm. um, and then mm-hmm. you just fill in the rest as you go because mm. you know taking some shortcuts, learning, learning the structure without doing a whole bunch of the research beforehand too. And I think um, murder mysteries the same because you don't have to have read all the other murder mysteries to know like how this character yes. relates to that or that. This detective is actually a spin-off or spoof of Poirot from Agatha Christie series. Mm-hmm. Serieses? Series. <laughs> um, so then we move on to the hypothesis, which, you know, in science is, what do I think is going to happen? Which I think is such a crucial element of the murder mystery. It's literally the same. It is literally the same. Yeah, you see the opening film, like the open opening shots happen. Maybe you see the body first, maybe you don't. Mm. You get to, you know, be introduced to a first few of the characters and you start, you're already thinking, you know this is a murder mystery. You know you want to try and work it out before the detective does. Doesn't, it's everybody, doesn't everybody make an like, initial assumption about who, who's done it as well? Yeah. You're like, oh, it's definitely that character. And then as the story goes on, you're sort of like, oh, hang on a minute. As the story goes on, usually I find in modern ones, you're like, it could be literally anyone. <laughs> All of these people are horrible. <laughs> All these people have motivations too. Um, but hypothesis is kind of like an issue what you think is going to happen. And I think that's so, so similar mm. for murder mysteries. We then go on to the aim, which is normally what we're hoping to get out of this. Obviously, murder mysteries, we know, we want to know who done it. Obviously, yeah. Uh, but we also want to know why we're investigating. Like, mm. like, sometimes in Glass Onion, the detective doesn't know why he's there he doesn't know who (laughs) (laughs) who hired him so there's like there's um other motivations and aims too Mm. it's like you want to know who killed this person because they're so prominent you want to know who killed this person because their house was left to somebody we don't think it should have been left to yeah there's a whole bunch of other overlapping aims i'd say in murder mysteries if they're Mm. if they're good and especially modern ones i think do a really good job of drawing us in with this and then we get to methods which I think is kind of like act two, kind of like a really bulk of the story, is we're trying to work out um, in murder mysteries how this person was killed. Yeah. Was it in the library with a candlestick by Professor Peacock? Like, <laughs> 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 going with Cluedo? Um, 
And in the science world, this is what are you, how are you doing your experiments so someone can replicate it? Yeah. Um, so they're quite related. But then it's also how is the detective like thinking through who did it too, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, there's this list of 10 commandments of detective fiction by oh. Ronald Knox. Mm. Um, and this author was in the detection club with Agatha Christie. And though a lot of these rules are really outdated, they come from a time where there was a plethora of detective fiction and he made some rules to be like, okay, let's not have more than one secret room or hidden passage per story. <laughs> like you're kind of dragging on a bit. Um, and one of them is that the reader should be able to follow every single one of the detective's thoughts. Like the detective shouldn't have thoughts that the reader doesn't immediately know or they shouldn't, shouldn't stumble upon a clue the reader doesn't know. Um, which I think really fits into like methods is like we're supposed to be exposed and taken along. Yeah, I've seen that. I've seen them do it in some really interesting ways as well. I don't know if you've seen Sherlock. Ella, the TV. Oh, the BBC ones. Yeah, I have it on DVD, girl. Don't even worry about it. Yeah, you know how they sort of show um, when Sherlock walks into a room, like the analysis he does of a person. Yeah, they have a kind of special effects. Yeah, yeah, it's really cool. Yeah, I just wanted to mention that. Yeah, there's this really cool one in like uh, season four for BBC's Sherlock where they show like him dragging a window in so you can see like the angle of light yeah. coming through. That stays with me forever. Oh, yes. Um, so you're seeing kind of like how they did it and you're following along with the detective. And then we get to results, which in the science mm-hmm. world is like, I've done my experiment, here's the numbers I pulled out or yeah. here's the observations I made. Mm-hmm. Um, and in murder mystery, it's evidence, clues, yeah. observation, we're talking to neighbours. All of the collection of stuff that I've got yeah. <laughs> from this investigation so far. But it's not put together yet. Yeah. It's just like clues as they come and mm-hmm. we're like, how does this fit in? Um, which takes us to the discussion, which in my mind, other than the next part, which is conclusion, is the most important. But I also think it's the most interesting part. It's like, well, this piece of evidence could mean this here's its situation, like here's it situated in a bunch of context from like other papers that I've drawn out. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, other experience that I have and in the fiction world, you know, conversations I've had, uh, places I can place this in real life. It's like he left the train at 9.42, but what you didn't know is he came (laughs) back and got on another train at (laughs) 9.43. Like it's kind of like piecing everything together. Yeah. Working all out, making... Um, some big leaps but ultimately mm. the best of it is left for the conclusion yes which is the big reveal yeah this is get everybody in a room <laughs> lock the doors i'm the detective i'm about to tell you exactly what happened following all this evidence you're aware of as yep. as my audience i'm about to get you all in a room i'm gonna say lock the doors the murderer is here tonight i'm gonna perform <laughs> for you and this is the satisfying bit that everyone waits for mm. And I'd argue in a really, really good scientific paper and or story of fiction, like written or um, movies, or I think you can probably do like podcasts too of murder mysteries, which would be so sick. Um, yeah, those exist. Yeah, they really should. That's so exciting. They, yeah. Um, I think about 90 seconds before the detective says who it is, mm. you should know as an audience member. Yeah. Like, you should have worked that, out. that moment. So when it comes, you're like, aha, I knew. Like, it shouldn't <laughs> be a shock. I feel like it should all start making sense. So you've read the discussion in, like, a scientific paper, and you're like, I bet this is leading to. Mm. Like, it is logical. It relies on information, and you start putting together all the little bits of information, and the big picture makes a bit more sense now. So good. <laughs> oh, I'm so happy we came in to discuss this episode earlier. Otherwise, that would not have featured at all. Yeah. And that's like, I'm so hyped for this. This is peak. I will never. That was so good, Elvis. That was your own little performance just then, too. That was amazing. Me as the detective locking the doors. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. And I kind of just wanted to, you know. I think that's a really, really fun, like, parallel um, that I can make fit and makes a lot of sense to me. Mm. Um, In real science, I think the mysteries, 
you know, are still to be unraveled. Like you, yeah. you look at little bits of it at a time. It's never like, well, I've solved the murder. Now we're done. Well, it takes a lot slower. It doesn't take 90 minutes to <laughs> understand the world. Um, so, yeah, I think the big questions in science are effectively mysteries yeah. themselves. So consciousness, dark matter, how did life begin? Are we alone in the universe? Yeah. They're all mysteries that we're, you know, trying to solve slowly and methodically together, yeah. which is really cool. Yeah. Um, but one one difference, I guess, between modern science and these mystery fiction is that modern science is tends to be very collaborative, mm. whereas the fiction usually portrays the lone scientist or lone detective who, like, does everything – which is such a myth, right? Yeah, that's not how it works. But it in terms of storytelling, we do love it. Yeah. 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 So we, Ella and I, came to the conclusion that maybe it's more fulfilling or satisfying for us to see that in like a short form content. Mm, mm. And I think the short form is really important. It's because we like a closed story. Like we want to leave the cinema and have closure. We want to finish the book and yeah, yeah, be like, job done. Yeah, exactly. But- Science is not like that. No. No. <laughs> no. Like, what were we saying? Like, how, how long do you think it takes to unravel, like, a scientific mystery, quote-unquote? Like, even just a small one. 2,000 study hours is what we guessed, right? Yeah. 2000, it's probably even more than that. 2,000 study hours versus short-form content of, like, 200 minutes. Yeah, or, like, a, a couple movie. hours of reading. Or a few hours of reading. Like, yeah. if you sit down with a... I don't know, I'm kind of a fast reader, but I feel like if you sit down with a detective book, I could finish it in an afternoon slash early evening. Yeah, if it's like the typical, what, like 200 yeah, pages? pages. Mm. Mm. And speaking of short form content, let's talk about Knives Out. Knives Out <laughs> is such a good film. End of sentence. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, Ella likes it a lot more than me, but... You didn't like it? No, I liked it. I just, it wasn't my favourite thing, you know? I guess I'm just more scientifically minded out of the two. Oh my <laughs> gosh. Uh, there were some interesting things in there though, that I will talk about. But I'm going to let you introduce Knives Out. Yeah. So Knives Out um, by Ryan Johnson. Uh, gorgeous, gorgeous film. It has a sensational cast, really. A cast too good for its yeah, own. It its own uses but <laughs> I think honestly they do so well um it's so stunning and I love the meta reflective kind of nature of a lot of modern uh mystery films which is like oh the person who gets killed at the start yeah they're a mystery novel writer themselves <laughs> and their entire house looks like it's out of a game of clue and everyone knows that <laughs> yeah. including the audience um, including all the other characters on screen, the detectives and the police who turn up the house are like, what no, is it, going it on? It literally looks like a Cluedo game yeah. board. And they mention that in the film too. Yeah. It's so <laughs> much fun. Um, and I feel like this has been not like modernised. It's d- been done in a, in a way that's very, very engaging for the type of audience that we have now. Mm. Um, but it does such a good job of having different characters who are all hiding something yeah and a lot of the film is working out like what they're lying about and where the inaccuracies and the overlapping of their stories um means and which one is the truth quote Mm -hmm. unquote Mm -hmm. um i really love this like idea in the film of how the truth is intermingled with the web of how each of us see reality um and how we like hide from what we know to be true just by like pretending that the version we want is true yeah. And they're all entangled together. I really loved the start of the film where uh, all the people are describing to the detective, like, oh, it was my dad. Like, they're all t- kind of like talking about the dad, the granddad, the the <laughs> murder victim, sadly. Oh, no. um, yeah, they're all talking about him and they're like, yeah, it was his birthday and we were having the best time as a family. And each of them imagine them right beside him as he blows out his birthday cake candles. Mm. And by the second time the audience sees this with a different person, you know one of them has to be lying. Yeah. And it's just that everyone kind of like has their own self-importance and like the way they see the world and the way they want to think, the way they want to make others see them too. Mm. Um, And I think that's a really interesting concept for like a murder mystery novel where you're trying to 
Mm. Yeah, untangle the truth. What's really interesting too is one of the characters, the nurse mm. character, who has um, she can't lie. <gasps> Such a good dynamic because so she has this thing where every time she tries to lie, she throws up almost immediately. Yeah, yeah, and the detective's like, I don't believe this. And then she lies and she just goes, and he's like, oh no, I didn't make, mean to make you throw up. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Which is a really interesting way of like helping the detective navigate the truth. And and having the audience be like, out of all these horrible characters, mm. here's one that we can trust. Yeah. Well, and the way that dynamic plays out in the film, because yeah. you start to learn things about her too. Exactly. Um. Yeah, there are no big spoilers in this. Don't worry, friends. If no. you haven't seen it, <laughs> we're not going to tell you the ending. I do recommend you see it. Um, I think it's really fun. Um, I wanted to talk about, too, like, though there's, like, a lot of things that they do that, like, makes it really modern, mm. there's so many familiar beats of the movie mm. of how we have information revealed to us piece by piece by piece until it all orchestrates together. Mm-hmm. And then... Boom, suddenly this like connection and yeah, yeah. Remember the unraveling. lab report. Yeah. <laughs> um, which is interesting because it comes back to science central in the end, doesn't it? Yes. Um Yeah. And there's like scientific thinking of like you start with the unknown and you test mm-hmm. and you make it replicable. Mm-hmm. Um deductive reasoning. Yeah, which is almost scientific, right? Yeah. Um I have this quote from Let me just say, this is from an arts criticism journal as well. So the quote is, um, and it's talking about mysteries and murder mysteries, says, the detective will reason as a scientist, (gasps) observing, applying knowledge of causes and causal laws, inferring to best causal explanations, eliminating initial hypotheses by further observational testing, and arriving at the end at the single coherent narrative that captures all the data. Wow. Yeah. That is so cool. Mm-hmm. This is an arts journal being like, hey, detectives are basically scientists. Yeah. I love it. I love, like, I know there's, like, a little bit of confirmation bias when you come up with a theory <laughs> and you're like, I just want this to be true so you start making connections. But to see it, you know be like pieced together around different disciplines. Like you got the yeah. neuroscientist, you got this arts journal. Um, that's so fun. I mm. love this a lot. And and do we think that that's what the detective is doing in Knives Out? Whatever his name is, I can't pronounce it. Benoit, Benoit. Blanc. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which I'm pretty sure is supposed to be like a throwaway to uh, Agatha Christie's yeah. Poirot. I'm pretty sure, yeah. Yeah. Um, what is He says something really interesting in Knives Out. Yes. Yeah, yeah. This quote as well about like halfway through where he's talking to that nurse character mm. and he's explaining sort of his method of how, how he comes to a conclusion, solving a mystery. Um, he says, my method, I observe the facts without biases of the head or heart. I determine the arc's path, stroll leisurely to its terminus and the truth falls at my feet. That sounds a bit like science. Hello. <laughs> yeah, I think it's really interesting this thing of like without biases uh-huh um especially as the detective is often like if it's like a family murder or like a small town like if you've got an outside character coming in they're often a lot more separate um mm. they're like hard isn't like being tugged emotionally like one way or another like they don't have all the context which is in part what they're trying to find out but only the important stuff yeah they're not like oh i grew up with abby abby would never do this <laughs> they're like i don't trust abby who is she yeah um, and when he said that, it gave me this thought and I going, let's go back to Sherlock Holmes yes, for a minute please. as well. Um, he's actually been described by some people as a personification of rationality. Whoa. And so my brain went, are fictional detectives a personification of scientific thinking? Uh. <laughs> <laughs> like a hundred, hundred percent. Yes, I think so. Yeah, if scientific thinking was to be represented as a character, I think it would be detectives. Yeah. It wouldn't be the lone scientist. I think that's incredible because I think that suddenly made science seem like exciting as well. Yeah. To people who may not think it is. 
I wonder how many other people have come to this conclusion in their own time, mm. that like murder mysteries are, is like science. And I wonder how many of them are science people and how many of them wouldn't classify themselves as science people. Yeah. Yeah. I get very um, excited and I think people do too about this like idea of like the cognitive puzzle. Oh, same. Um, <laughs> which like we're using the scientific thinking and this personification of rationality to unravel. Mm. Um. And I think we love the final reveal of when it all comes together. It's very formulaic. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had this thought that was it was kind of like science is our way of trying to understand yeah. our world that is so chaotic, but we're trying to understand it in a way <laughs> that, our that tiny our human brains can understand. It. Yeah, it's <laughs> like we're it's a puzzle to solve in itself. Absolutely, um, which is really interesting because the. Not sequel, sequel to Knives Out called Glass Onion. <laughs> that movie starts with uh, all kind of like the main characters receiving this puzzle logic box. So you've already mm. got this murder mystery film and it starts with all the characters having to solve a physical puzzle to get an invite to go to the island to compete in, like to have, to have the murder mystery party. Um, and it's like the amount of problem solving skills and logical reasoning that has to be applied to that. Yeah. And that's shown to us in, like, the first 10, 15 minutes of the film. So the director there is saying, like, these skills are important. These are crucial to these characters, crucial to the movie. I'm showing it to you first for a reason. Mm. And that really, really got my brain ticking. That was one of the first connections <gasps> yeah. I made with this topic. I didn't think about it that way. It's like... Mm. Yeah. It's really, really cool. I love that side of a film. I just want one of those physical puzzle boxes. But I also <laughs> feel like, um, going back to like scientific people, I think, enjoying murder mysteries, I feel like it was always kind of like a maths-oriented kid who was the Rubik's brick <laughs> or the Rubik's cube kid in your class. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a reasonable... Yeah, well, reasonable it, was, it was all throughout like my primary school and high school experience, I think. Um yeah, this idea of like logical problem solving physically too, as well as like fictional. Mm. I I do think they're interconnected. Um, yeah, I just think I just think they're so entangled, scientific thinking and all forms of like logic, puzzle solving, problem solving, different ways of thinking really. Yeah. Um, but maybe it also like isn't that scientific. Maybe it's just like problem solving that I think we always classify as like a science skill. Mm. But if you think about anything deeply, you can problem solve. Mm-hmm. Like any university degree teaches you problem solving in a different way. We yeah. often attribute it to like STEM, but yeah. law, business, oh, absolutely. economics. Yeah. Um, yeah, like graphic design, glass yeah. making, ceramics. Yeah. Like that's all different ways you can problem solve mm, to or things you just, can apply problem solving to. Yeah, it's just different kinds of problem solving. Yeah, so maybe it's like, yeah, going back to like our title, like the art and or science of, I think there's there's greys because I think it, it does lean to and. Um, but it does seem to lean more into like in our collective cultural zeitgeist, this, this scientific way of thinking. Um, including lesson plans, question mark, Isabel? Yeah, so I, I want to talk more about murder mysteries and science communication i love science communication yes please (laughs) uh yeah so some teachers both in schools and universities use murder mysteries for lessons i love that so much i love this too basically to teach things like the scientific method and critical thinking in a really engaging fun way because you got the story telling you why you have to complete the science, right? Yes, so exactly. Um, and I, I wanted to also talk about how murder mysteries facilitate an intellectual game between the author and the reader or the director and the viewer, mm. which already treats you as intelligent. And then to me, it becomes not so much about the answer, but the process of interpreting, the process of critical thinking and problem solving. Wait, that's so cool. Yeah. So, and that process, of course, requires attention to detail, inferential ability, evidence-based reasoning, memory, and imagination, mm. which are all key components of science and science methods. 
That's so cool. Yeah. Um, plus red herrings. Okay. Red herrings, I think, are so far the one thing that don't really fit into like our current understanding of, like it's all methodical laid out for you. We like how it's, you know, step by step by step to conclusion. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I think red herrings are little or misleading clues are a bit like navigating scientific misinformation, conspiracy theories, that sort of thing. Because it, on the surface level, it sounds plausible, mm. tempting to believe, but then when you really think about it and dig deep, it's actually misleading. And so I think in, a, in an inviting, entertaining, fun way, murder mysteries are helping navigate those things or how to be on guard for it yeah so it's teaching you to like look for the accuracies even when there are inaccuracies presented alongside it yeah super cool i love that Mm. yeah nice (laughs) just another reason to love murder mysteries Mm. so then does this also make science and scientific thinking seem appealing thrilling exciting rather than dry and boring. I'd say absolutely. By right? engaging with it in this like sort we form, of format. We view it as entertainment. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so that art criticism journal I talked about earlier, this is another quote from it that I wanted to read, um, which says, mystery fiction affirms the power of reason, symbolizing the nobility and lawlike nature of the world, the existence of hard facts, and the power of scientific reasoning or inductive inference. Ubiquitous in mental life, but clearly exhibited here. Listen to this part. It bridges the gap between obscure scientific method and the layman, showing that the former can serve moral purpose. Okay, hello, science communication. Hi. (laughs) Psycom has entered the chat. Psycom has entered the chat. You know what? She's here to stay. And she's all about getting obscure scientific reasonings, methods, (laughs) theories to be understandable. Yeah. To people who you know, might just like to know and mm-hmm. aren't, like, trained in knowing mm-hmm. but would like to. And that's so much fun. I love this so much. That's so sick. Yeah. Um, and then I also wanted to touch on the forensics thing because oh, I yes, think please do. that deserves its own episode. Uh, Absolutely it does. Absolutely. <laughs> just touch on it here. Um, something called the CSI effect, which you might have heard of, which is the exaggerated portrayal of forensic science in fictional crime TV or books Mm. um and then this idea sort of feeds back into pop culture because a lot of people are obsessed with true crime as well um which then results in this sort of romanticized view of forensics and criminology it gets people excited about it but like it kind of goes off on its own path really doesn't it yeah exactly yeah, it's interesting how much that's like referred to in a lot of popular fiction as well. Mm-hmm. Of like the oh, I saw that on TV. Like even the CSI effect is kind of mentioned. But we yeah. should save that for a different absolutely different space and time. That's all I'm going to say about that. <laughs> um, I did like want to briefly touch on two, uh, with like real life um, detectives and forensics and science. We you know if we preserve specimens from actual mysteries. As science progresses, we can learn more about everything from cold cases um, to just unraveling mysteries of, like, preserved aquatic specimens. Yeah. And we get, like, more precise information about mummies. Like, I recently went to the Sydney Museum, and they did an MRI scan for better information on who the mummy was. Mm. So you could know more about them, their bone structure, without unraveling it all. Um, And also the date span, which, you know, when the mummy arrived in Australia was not something we had the technology to do. Mm. So I love this idea of putting together... Puzzle pieces as time develops. Mm, which is a very science thing. Very science thing. But it's also the antithesis of why, you know, this quick, short-form yeah. mystery structure. Like, this, we're talking about things that happen over, like, like decades. Yeah. Yeah, hundreds of years, even if you say that, like, the mummy being wrapped up was the start of it. Um, and that is kind of, like, one, one key difference, I think is that in the real world, timelines get blown up a lot. Mm-hmm. And that's why for entertainment, I think we turn to... Yeah. Yeah, murder mysteries 
as fiction because mm-hmm. we still want that logical problem-solving aspect. Yeah. So it's a similar process. It's just longer in real life. <laughs> yeah. And I think it would be really cool if we, like, in you know, in wrapping up this topic, come back to mysteries and puzzles being both an art and a science. Mm. I think we've spoken about a lot of different elements today of, you know, the art of, like, writing fiction and the authors, but also the yep. science that it's based on and the thinking and the logic they both come back and rely on. Yeah. Yeah, I'd argue murder mysteries, both an art and a science. Absolutely, both art and puzzles. Yeah. So we come, as we always do here, to our individual sections. Yes. I hope you're enjoying the logical structure flow of our episode structure. (laughs) Is this like a murder (laughs) mystery logic puzzle to you? (laughs) Uh, No. I wanted to chat a bit about X-Men First Class, as always. As As always. always. Um, And talk about movie plots and how they're specifically designed to unravel for you the viewer to see and to come to at the end this conclusion and I think in X-Men first class or in X-Men um it's who is really the bad guy Mm. and as much as we have like a satisfying resolution at the end of X-Men first class about who we trust and who we don't trust in this moment I think it's kind of like a white and black surface level Mm. And when you think about it and you get like a little bit more just below surface level, like it's not too far at all really because the movie shows you this. It wants you to unravel. And I don't think it wants you to accept who it is painting as the villain and the hero because it itself does it. And it's like walking such a fine line. Uh, We have these really morally gray characters underneath this surface level. Um, And on this plot level and resolution level, I think you feel more uncomfortable with it because of the moral ambiguities of the characters, specifically Magneto. Mm. And it kind of like brings together this idea of wrong actions for the right reasons. Um, And often like the right reasons, you know, um, historically have been like we rely on history and the overwhelming and overarching narrative to tell us who was right and who was wrong. Mm. I, my favourite, because... I've watched so many superhero movies <laughs> in the last few years. I My favourite kinds are the ones that actually have complex villains as yeah. well as complex heroes. Like you want to be able to understand your villain to a point. Exactly. I don't think any villain sets off to be doomed. Yeah. So they like believe in their cause and they also believe it's going to work. Um, but I the point I wanted to make with X-Men First Class is, though I think while we love the satisfaction of a murder mystery unravelling, I think sometimes a complete unraveling where everything makes sense isn't what our brains are after. Mm. Um, and I you know, thought that really heavily related to our episode on everything ever all at once. <laughs> and I did just want to bring that up because they recently won a whole lot of awards and I'm Yay, super, super happy for that cast and crew. Um, I think that's awesome. But yeah, I just wanted to, to leave us with this thought of like, yes, our perceptions meeting with reality is satisfying. We also still do enjoy the other. Yeah. Oh, thanks, that's Ella. Very came to. <laughs> Thank you. Isabel, I see you have a lot of notes for I, your bit. Yeah, yes. Um, I, there was an original idea I had, but I'm going to save that for when we talk about horror, potentially, in oh October. My oh, my god. That was in slides. Slick. <laughs> um... So instead, I wanted to talk about justice and whether murder mysteries in pop culture, whether that's fiction or true crime, help or hinder individuals, groups and the judicial system because of the way it's being portrayed. Mm. Um, So some people think that it glorifies serial killers, detective work um, and morbid fascination with other people's pain. (laughs) (laughs) and yeah it definitely exaggerates and stereotypes but I think it's more complex than this and can actually be a really positive thing Mm. um why so there's two main ways Uh the first one is because most mystery fiction and true crime media meaning podcasts shows movies focuses on cases that have been solved and showing justice served for wrongdoing. 
which are then helpful in starting conversations about and raising awareness of horrible crimes like domestic violence and pushing society to make measurable changes to support victims. Mm. And so in that way, it's comforting, reassuring, maybe even empowering um, and beneficial to emotional well-being of individuals, groups and communities who have experienced those things. I really like that. Yeah. Um, And the other way is, and this is more related to true crime than it is for mystery fiction, Mm -hmm. um, in reigniting investigations into cold cases and miscarriages of justice. So it can bring public attention to cases that have gone cold and spark new leads. And I'm thinking of shows like Unsolved Mysteries, which have you seen any of that ever? Is is that the BuzzFeed, the ex-BuzzFeed one? BuzzFeed Unsolved, and it was huge um, on the internet for a while. I'm not sure if it's BuzzFeed. No, these might be two different ones. But But Unsolved um, Mysteries go hard. Yeah, so it's like an hour or so each episode, and it's it's still something that hasn't been solved yet. And what they do at the end of the episode is like, if you have information about this or like think you can help, like go here and let us know by putting it out to the public Mm. like that. Um, so then this can also increase public pressure on authorities um, or even pique interest of police investigators to reopen a case because they're getting the pressure from the public to be like, oh, is this we thing? We should that. go look at that. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then that also spotlights cases previously ignored because victims were from vulnerable or marginalised communities. Oh, true. Yeah, and so I want to give some recent Australian examples um, which include the podcast Bowerville, which highlights the unsolved murder of three Aboriginal teens in New South Wales in 1991. Mm-hmm. And then another podcast, Bondi Badlands, which investigates the murders and disappearances of gay men at Bondi Beach in the 80s and 90s. Whoa. Power of pop culture, everybody. Absolutely. <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah. That's like really cool and also like a lot to think about. Oh, yeah. I know. <laughs> I just dumped a whole bunch of thoughts there for everybody to ponder. Well, I guess it's kind of the point about individual sections, right? Oh, like yes. Here's some more to think about if the if the actual episode <laughs> wasn't enough for you. <laughs> so that's it from us today on this episode. Um, questions for you, our gorgeous audience. Mm. Uh, if you're into mystery fiction, we really want to know, are you also into science and or science fiction? Mm. Do you see any other parallels between science and murder mysteries that we've missed? Or maybe major differences? Yeah, let us know. I'd be super interested to find out. You can hit us up on any of our socials at sci underscore burst. Stay nerdy and we'll see you next time. We will. Goodbye, friends. Thank you to ANUC Pass for their support and access to their podcast studio.